Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of this week. But first, we wanted to let you know that we will be releasing the next installment of Insightful Inquiries this Sunday on May 1st. Kervin, don't you have a clip for that? Uh, I sure do. Here it is. All right. Let's take a listen. Yeah. I moved on to other police departments and eventually uh, see my government organizations because I was so eager to learn. And I also noticed that I was one of the few females and I always felt that I had to double proof myself. Um, so I wanted to learn as much as I can. I was really hungry for, for knowledge and, and the security. And eventually in 2016, I started working for myself, just freelancing. And 2018, I founded my own company which is very much related to behavior analysis and security and risk. All right. So that <laughs> is, uh, that's uh, Miranda Capulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a behavioral analyst. Uh, as oh, you wow. heard in that clip, she owns her own company now, and they do uh, risk assessments as well as anti-human trafficking. That'll be a very interesting lesson. And that it, comes it out on a, Sunday? Yes, comes out on Sunday. It was a great interview. I've I've known Miranda for a couple years now. Yeah, because um, we worked on some other things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got a bunch of insights. She's been doing this for thirty years. So That's amazing. It, you guys need to listen. She's got a lot of stuff to uh, pass on to everybody. Doesn't she have information on how you can recognize signs of human trafficking? Yes, and we do go through that during the podcast. Uh, she talks about a few things. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I can't wait to hear that. I'm going to give it a listen on Sunday. Hope you guys do too. But we have a lot to get to. So let's let's get through it, okay? What's on your radar for this week? Well, Tiana, that was an understatement. I think this yeah. may be the most headlines we have had on this podcast in a while. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mainly because the, the Russia-Ukraine update is still, that war is still going on in Ukraine. We've also got uh, Russia escalating other actions. They've stopped the flow of gas to uh, Poland and Bulgaria. Um, They uh, talked with the U.S. to do a prisoner exchange, and they Mm -hmm. uh, exchanged a U.S. Marine that had been in prison for a couple of years. Uh, We talked about the Starlink last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're going to talk about what confirmation we got throughout the past two weeks about what happened with the Starlink Internet that Elon Musk gave to the Ukrainians. Okay. Um, we've mentioned this one as well, Moldova, who's seeing the writing on the wall that they are probably the next country to be invaded. Yeah. With that, um, two other countries that are nervous about invasion, Sweden and Finland, we've got an update on their uh, response as far as will they join NATO or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United Nations says that it wants to veto veto powers. 
Uh, so if you've heard us talk before, Russia and China vetoing any human rights violation concerns from the UN. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to stop that. Um, then we're going to give you the update on the French election, just in case you listen to just us for your news. Which we're so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will say that uh, we don't usually do like Central America, South America kind of things. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of stuff that goes on there. And, and we are going to talk about that this week with Mexico in crisis mode mm -hmm. and uh, unrest in Peru as well. We'll finish it all up with uh, China, who vows to pass the U.S. economically. Uh, and then this week's History's Mysteries. It's going to be a brief one, but it's a very important yeah. person in my mind. He is the father of intelligence analysis. Ooh, that'll be interesting. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Let's get right to it. There's a lot of news for us to get into. So hit us with the Russia-Ukraine update. All right. So this week, Putin told Turkish President Erdogan that there were no military operations underway in Mariupol and that Kiev should take responsibility for the people holed up in the Azovstal steel plant there in oh, Mariupol. Goodness. Russia said this week it would open a humanitarian corridor for civilians to leave the steel plant. Uh, but Ukraine said there was no such agreement and that Russia was still attacking it. So will the Ukrainians be able to leave, though? Well, to me, it's a it's a double edged sword because those individuals do want to leave safely. Of but course. They also don't want Russia taking control of the city of Mariupol. Didn't Russia claim they took control of Mariupol last week? Yeah, they, they certainly did. Uh, but the fact that there are Ukrainians taking shelter at the mm -hmm. Azovstal steel plant, uh, that confirms to me that the city has not been completely overrun by Russian forces. Well, what is the what's next on Russia's agenda in this war with Ukraine? Well, Russia's next step doesn't even involve Ukraine, per se. As Russia has stopped the flow of natural gas to both Poland and Bulgaria. Why would they do that? Well... Uh, Russia says it's because those countries will not pay in rubles, which is the only currency Russia has been allowed to utilize since it invaded Ukraine. So were those countries even considering purchasing natural gas from Russia? Uh, yes and no. Uh, both countries have refused to purchase natural gas in rubles mm -hmm. as it would have continued purchasing supplies from Russia, uh, but had drawn the line with purchasing in rubles. So there's sort of semantics going on there. Okay. Now, Russia delivered an ultimatum last month to certain countries that they must pay for their energy in rubles starting April 1st or risk being cut off from vital supplies. Mm -hmm. Now, we are now at the end of April, and the flow of gas had continued until this past Wednesday. Uh, Putin and Russia as a whole are reeling from the effects of sanctions that came after the initial invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the ruble has finally come back down to pre-invasion levels, and Russia wants to continue to prop up their currency by only allowing purchases through rubles. Oh, okay. Only time's going to tell if they are successful, but by the looks of it, other nations continue to refuse to abide by Russia's demands. Why did they wait so long to completely shut off the flow of natural gas? Well, Russia said payments in rubles for gas being delivered would be due toward the end of April or the beginning of May, oh, okay. which is the reason Russia didn't immediately shut off the flow of gas. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what information do you have on the U.S.-Russia prisoner exchange? 
Well, yeah, this so this week, like we said at the at the top here, mm-hmm. Russia has released former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed in a prisoner exchange with the United States. The name Trevor Reed just sounds like a Marine name, mm-hmm. a U.S. Marine name. Oorah, Marines. <laughs> Why was he arrested in the first place? So Russian authorities said that Reed was drunk inside a police car when he grabbed the arm of the driver, causing him to swerve into another lane. They also said they elbowed another officer who tried to intervene. So what you're saying is he screwed up while he was in Russia. Now, that's what Russian authorities have claimed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although some sketchy stuff, they will not release the video from inside the police car. Then is it possible that it's Russia making things up again? I mean, it's possible, but not necessarily. Um, okay. As you know, someone who has been in Eastern Bloc countries, yeah, and imbibed quite a few times in those yes. countries, including uh, Russia, it, including Russia, including Russia. I was right there next to you. <laughs> it is plausible to me mm-hmm. that a marine would drink in excess and then mm-hmm. have a bad interaction with police. Yeah. Now, um, in countries like Poland or even Italy. They wouldn't necessarily throw someone in jail for public drunkenness. So I really think Russia saw it as a political win to arrest the guy and put him in jail. I mean, you got to get wins where you can, you know? Yeah. So does his release count as a political win? Well, I mean, one guy was arrested for public intoxication and then subsequently imprisoned in 2019 for accosting officers. And the Russian prisoner was allegedly convicted of drug trafficking. Uh, I don't consider the two the same thing. Yeah. But each country is likely to fabricate some of the story in order to claim a political win for sure. Well, how long was the Marine sentenced to prison? Well, he was supposed to serve a nine-year term, which Mm -hmm. may seem a little excessive when discussing public intoxication leading to assault on a police officer. Yeah. uh, Which he and his family do deny. I do want to say that. Okay. But if it did happen, as the Russian police say, I mean, it would make sense as penalties in Russia don't exactly coincide with criminal penalties in the United States. So how long was the Russian pilot set to be imprisoned for drug trafficking? Uh, Konstantin Yaroshenko, which is his name, mm-hmm. uh, was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. Seems like that swap wasn't very fair. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't look fair on the surface. Um, yeah, but uh, Constantine had about eight years left on his sentence, and oh. Reed had about seven years left. Uh, okay. But I do get your point that a drunk marine and a drug trafficking pilot not necessarily equal in terms of criminals. I mean, I guess it's subjective. Yeah, but it it does make sense. Let's get to Starlink now. Have you been able to confirm the Starlink update that Elon was talking about? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the C4 ISR net conference, which I was unable to attend this year, um, detailed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where was that supposed to be? Oh, man, I could. I think it's I think it was in New York, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Oh, OK, OK. I just want um, it. Cha- it usually changes. It could have been in D.C. Conferences think- usually do indeed change venues. Darling. Yeah. <laughs> But um, that conference detailed the speed at which Elon Musk's SpaceX Starlink fought off a Russian jamming attack in Ukraine. Yeah. So it isn't just that Starlink fought off Russian electronic attacks, but it did it at a rate of speed that no known government system has ever been able to achieve. So what are the geopolitical implications of this? Oh, let's get into this, because honestly, 
the implications on a global level are vast. Uh, right now, the U.S. Department of Defense has been focused on improving relations with Jeff Bezos' Amazon systems, which includes Amazon uh, Web Services. Mm-hmm. So the implications are that the U.S. has spent billions on the wrong billionaire. Now Jeff that's, would be he would be pushing that. You know, he was mad whenever um, Musk's company got you know the government contract for you know the space for stuff. SpaceX. Yeah, yeah, he took him to court over that. Yep, and and that's really what launched Elon to who he is today. Um, Whatever that may be, he is what his time and circumstances have made him. And that is a totally different podcast for someone (laughs) else to (laughs) tackle. But when I I talk about, you know, the U.S. spent money on the wrong billionaire, it's a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, Yeah, I know. Elon appears to be on the side of improving military operations, while Bezos, just in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is on the side of making money. Yeah. Now, I get that's a little bit rudimentary, and it's my own opinion. And it doesn't, it doesn't tell the whole story. story. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that the U.S. military is behind in the technology realm because they have aligned with the wrong technologies. Because you, they want to go with the cheapest option. Right. That's how contracts work in the government. <laughs> will purchase at the you know the rate of the cheapest provider. Yeah. Um, and you can ask any military leader. They're going to tell you that the uh, the U.S. is not ready for a near-peer battle in the cyber domain. Who are the near-peers? Well, that's the usual suspects, China and Russia. Uh, okay. They're known, in, in, at least in the Department of Defense, as near-peers. Okay. Um, just because if we get into a war with those guys, it, it's going to be equal footing for both militaries. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, um, so... But that does yeah. not mean... That mm-hmm. if we were to go to war with Russia and China, it would be an immediate loss for the U.S. Okay. It's just something to keep an eye on and something the U.S. should be considering for future conflicts. Okay, well, in November, you started expressing your concern that Russia was ready to invade Ukraine. And then a few episodes back, you began to express the same concern over Moldova. Are there any updates there? Yeah, there definitely are. As explosions in the breakaway state of Transnistria a mm-hmm. Russian-controlled territory in Moldova, okay, have raised fears that the the Ukraine conflict may be spreading. And I do remain concerned that the next escalation will be Moldova. I have a very dear childhood friend that was actually a foreign exchange student, stayed at my best friend's house, who lives in Moldova. And for as long as we've known her, there's always been some sort of conflict with Russia. Yeah, it's a, it's a st- tough spot to be the border yeah. of a country there like was, Russia. There was so much red tape for he, her to even get over to the United States to, for school. Like she had to promise she was going to go back to Moldova and work for them for however many years. I don't know. Like that was one of the stipulations for her to be able to come over to America to study. But poor thing went to Terrebonne High School. So I don't know how much she learned. <laughs> Well, well, this is for her. This is for you, Sasha. Um, can you explain those compar- concerns, please? Yes, I will explain those concerns for everybody, but most importantly, Sasha. Yeah, well, she knows. She lives She lives it. Right. She, doesn't need, she doesn't need your help. <laughs> so, so first, the invasion of Ukraine yeah. uh, did not go according to Putin's plan. I don't care what anyone says. 
So once the eastern portion of Ukraine is in Russian control, mm-hmm. Putin will need a quick and easy win. Uh, Moldova has a far less advanced military than Ukraine. Yeah. Um, it is directly on the border of southern Ukraine, and mm-hmm. it has remained neutral during the invasion of Ukraine. How has it been able to remain neutral? Well, as you and I both know, in working to help refugees cross the border, uh, Moldova has done a lot in accepting Ukrainian refugees. However, they have not allowed the staging of military equipment from NATO. Yeah, understandable. That neutrality puts its country directly in the crosshairs of Putin. Yeah, he's looking to take back all the former Soviet bloc countries. Mm -hmm. So... It's to me, it just seems like the most likely next course of action for the Russian military. Then is there any update on the acceptance of Finland and Sweden into NATO in order to prevent an invasion of those countries? Yeah, there's certainly some interesting updates. Uh, Most notable, both countries have said they could apply for membership simultaneously as soon as mid-May. So get ready for that update. Hold hands and skip your way to NATO, boys. Yes. Um, Finland's prime minister said that uh, her country Mm -hmm. would decide whether to apply to join the alliance in weeks, not months, despite the risk of infuriating Putin. Mm -hmm. Now, her Swedish counterpart said Sweden had to be prepared for all kinds of actions from Russia and that everything had changed when Moscow attacked Ukraine. Wasn't the initial invasion of Ukraine framed as an impotence of NATO expansion to countries bordering Russia? And that's what Putin has claimed, but let's not kid ourselves here. (laughs) It was never about NATO expansion. It has always been about Russia gaining power in the region. Mm -hmm. Uh, NATO's just a pawn in the game that Putin's playing. Well, that seems to segue nicely into the next topic. What is the UN saying about veto powers of its participating members? Now, this is an unexpected story, in my opinion. Okay. It definitely wasn't on my radar until the news broke this week. Okay. Uh, But the UN General Assembly took its first step this week to put the five permanent members of the Security Council under the spotlight whenever they use their veto power. Who are the five permanent members? That's the United States, the United Kingdom, France, China, and Russia. Uh, That seems like they need to update their list because weren't they kicked out of the security council like what russia yeah there's some there's some countries in there that maybe should not have veto power like a hundred percent of all those countries (laughs) (laughs) so i'm letting everybody know that i stand on the side of no one should have veto powers no one person one country should have that you know no no one individual yeah like or those five countries over everyone else, like they're going to have their best, their interests, like in mind over any of the other countries. Right. You know, they only have their own personal, yeah, their own so, personal, you know, safety or security. They don't care about so, anybody else. Okay. Well, so basically it's like a symbolic resolution. I mean, yeah, unfortunately that is correct. Okay. Uh, but it can be the start of something positive. Okay, well, since France is one of those members permanently upon the UN Security Council, (laughs) let's get right into the French elections. For those who count on us to give them their news updates, which once again, I apologize for, who won the French elections? Uh, The winner, by Mm -hmm. a much smaller total, was Mm -hmm. Emmanuel Macron. I know they were panicking for a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Everybody was panicking. Days leading to the election, they were uh, pretty nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Now, France's left-leaning voters did help Macron against the far-right candidate Le Pen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the question is whether he can keep enough of them on board to give him the solid majority in parliament he needs to make his presidency work. Um, France's two-tier political system makes the parliamentary elections almost as critical as the choice of president, right? Yes, that is correct. And while the president sets the general direction of the country, for example, um, left or right-leaning policies, Mm -hmm. it's the parliamentary vote that determines the makeup of the whole government and can even force the president into an awkward coalition. Awkward in what way? Well, uh, let's go into the real world. We know Macron is left-leaning. Yeah. Whatever that may mean. Mm Mm-hmm. But now he has to decide whether he will align himself with the social progressives or the fiscal mm-hmm. conservatives. Um, and, and it's a lose-lose, really, because whatever direction he goes in will be attacked. Of course, so yeah. Neither of us envy his position right now. Mm-hmm. He's also not the best judge of character, as he spent a number of days with Putin leading up to the invasion of Ukraine and remained steadfast in his thought that an invasion was not on the table. Yeah, that seems like an unenviable task to me as well. So let's move a little bit closer to the U.S. border and talk about the crisis in Mexico. What is that country dealing with right now? Uh, Mexico is facing an ongoing femicide crisis that saw 1,000 women murdered last year solely because of their gender. You're going to need to expand on that statement because I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) Yeah, so start off with at least 52 women have been reported missing in the Mm -hmm. uh, Nuevo León state this year alone. So that is just in that one portion of Mexico. Um, And the majority has been in or around the capital of Monterrey. Mm -hmm. Now, it's reported that 11 women a day are killed solely based on their gender. Okay, this seems very topical to me, but I haven't really seen this in the news. No, very true. And and most times it is based off of a narrative needing to be pushed by the media or the desire for certain stories to be swept under the rug. But this, yeah. it seems, is just a typical day in Mexico and no one wants to report on it. Then what is the Mexican government doing to help fix this? Not a lot, which leads to the concern among women in Mexico. You think? Yeah, the, the government has enraged feminist activists in the country by insinuating a nationwide women's strike in March was part of a conservative plot against his government. Feminists and conservatives seems like a likely pairing. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes, sometimes narratives are easily discouraged or weeded out. Yeah, like uh, that one. <laughs> this is one of those cases. Yeah. That phrase has never been stated except on this podcast tonight. Well, I don't know. Um, there are female conservatives, obviously, but yeah, femini- like feminists, feminist conservatives do not belong in the same sentence. I, I don't think we're upsetting many people saying that. I think it's yeah. pretty well understood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're we are growing as a society everywhere. Yeah. So anything yeah. is plausible. OK, well. Let's go from Mexico to Peru. You mentioned that there's unrest going on there. So what's the latest? Yeah, so this has been another under-the-radar story that we've uh, not been able to get to until this week. So last week, already contentious protests exploded throughout the country Mm -hmm. over the soaring price of fertilizer and fuel. 
Now, with inflation continuing to affect everyone across the globe, Peruvian protests have increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peru is battling its highest inflation in over two decades amid a worldwide price surge most recently triggered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. So rising prices of essential food items disproportionately affect poor residents, and that's anywhere. And, yeah, and that, and I was about to say the same thing. That's everywhere. Yeah, and disproportionately and it's rattling yeah. the government of Peru because of these mm-hmm. these poor individuals who are hurting and struggling continue to protest. And that's mainly what their population is, right? Yes, people below the poverty line, unfortunately. Correct. <laughs> what, what does the Peruvian government say about all the all of these mass protests? Well, last year, Peru held presidential elections that were very close, but had the Mm -hmm. Socialist Party candidate winning the majority of votes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The election, however, paralleled the U.S. elections where the right wing candidate expressed voter fraud concerns, uh, while the left wing candidate pointed to a statistical analysis of the results that did not find evidence of a distribution of votes favoring any one candidate. Um, And if you remember, we had our own I don't think we call it a protest, but something uh, of that sort after the you, election. Are you are you talking about January sixth? I'm just bringing I'm just bringing stuff up, and I'm going to let everybody decide on their own when they look. Draw into your it. own conclusions. <laughs> now, all that aside, yeah, <laughs> the new president has done very little to quell protests, and the economical impact of inflation has been critical to the people of Peru while the government continues to do little to help them. Well, I wish I could say I was shocked. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that crisis. But speaking of economics, you mentioned China's vow to surpass the U.S. economically. Can you explain that? Yeah, so this actually stems from this week's comments by the White House that mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter of 2021, the American economy surpassed China's economy for the first time in 20 years. Now, while the statement is true, China has focused on attacking the U.S. for presenting half-truths as Mm. the U.S. economy actually grew 1% less than China over the whole of 2021. So that's with everything in government. We're going to start debating semantics. Of course. Um, Besides just talk, what is China doing to remain the economic leader among the two nations? First, Chinese President Xi has told his government that his main goal right now is to outpace the U.S. economy and return China to the top of global economies. Uh, Mm -hmm. China's decline in economic standing has been caused by its strict zero COVID policy. Can you explain the zero COVID policy and how that is affecting their economy? Uh, Of course. So the zero COVID approach intends to prevent uh, transmission, viral transmission. Mm-hmm. Using a number of different measures. So these include vaccination uh, and also non-pharmaceutical interventions such as contact tracing. Uh, but most importantly, quarantines that can shut cities down for, for days, weeks, and most times months. Oh, and wow. with no one working or providing output to the economy, the government has to provide stimulus packages in order to jumpstart the economy and calm inflation. Then what is the Chinese government planning to do to get back on top economically? Uh, Chinese government agencies are discussing plans to accelerate construction projects, especially in the manufacturing, technology, energy, and food sectors. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
as well. They want to issue coupons or a stimulus to individuals to spur consumer spending. Will that work? I mean, only time will tell, but if any country is equipped, and I know I, I say a lot of bad things about China, but any mm-hmm. country is equipped to grow economically despite a zero COVID policy, it is going to be China. Oh, got it. That makes sense. Do you have anything else or is it time for this week's Histories Mysteries? After all those headlines, it is definitely yeah. time for this week's installment. Yeah. So who are we talking about this week? We're going to discuss the father mm-hmm. of intelligence analysis, Sherman mm-hmm. Kent. Uh, he was the son of a senator who was a professor at Yale University before joining the Office of Strategic Services, which was the U.S. intelligence service during World War II. Oh, well, is there any particular reason why he went from being a professor to being an intelligence analyst? Nothing more than just the simple fact that he was aware of what was going on in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to do something good for civilization. So he is most notable for working on the now widely used process called intelligence preparation for the battle space. And what does that entail exactly? So intelligence preparation of the battlefield is an analytical methodology designed to reduce uncertainties concerning the enemy, environment, and terrain for countless operations. Oh. Now, intelligence preparation of the battlefield first builds an extensive database for each potential area uh, in which a unit may be required to operate. Now, that database is then analyzed in detail to determine the impact of the enemy, environment, and terrain, and it presents it in a graphic form. Now, that, what I just talked about right there, Mm -hmm. is intelligence analysis. It's the intelligence analysis I have been trained in, and it is partly why he is considered the father of intelligence analysis. Mm -hmm. He even wrote the book, Strategic Intelligence for American World Policy, which, for any budding analyst, is a must-read. Everything that intelligence analysts do today can be traced back to Sherman Kent and his legacy. Well, at least in the United States. Yeah. And that legacy remains long after his death in 1986. Uh, This is evidenced through the Sherman Kent School for Intelligence Analysis that the CIA built in the year 2000. Now, Sherman Kent is, to me, a case study of doing the right thing when staying silent is just not possible. Well, is there anything else for this week? After that, we definitely are out of time this week. Yeah, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oquinanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, Stay safe out there.